You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Locked on Bucks. It's Frank Madden. I do not have Eric Name by my side. That's why you didn't get the patented Eric Name. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm not. I'm not going to do it because it's not my thing. But uh, Eric should be back tomorrow. And uh, more importantly, in the here and now, I have a very capable co-host by my side. It is my good friend and the uh, site manager, co-editor. Uh, grand shaman of my dear brewhoop.com. It's Mitchell Maurer. Mitchell, how are you doing this evening? Good evening, Frank. I'm quite well. I thought about jumping in and doing the long, drawn-out welcome, <laughs> but you know what? I decided to respect the space. That's not mine. It's Eric's. I'm going to leave it alone for him. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's his. That's his That's his thing, so we'll, we'll let him do it. Um, so, we and and we thought we were going to run and well, I, I was hoping to record this podcast with Mitchell either way. I, I was hoping to post uh, Monday morning or Sunday night, the third part of the conversation with Steve on Horn and Jeremy Schmidt. Um, but alas, it is, uh, it is currently being held hostage on Eric names, uh, Mac laptop that has been sent in for service. Cause it stopped working. Oh um, no. Yes. So to be continued, hopefully, Hopefully we we recover uh, that file. Um, I, I guess you know back up your your disks regularly and uh, and whatever that that's the lesson here. But um, hopefully we we'll have part three. We apologize for not getting that out. We got um, I, basically we've just been falling down all over the place because I I didn't get up part two until evening on Friday. So I'm sure a lot of people might not have gotten around to it on the weekend. Uh, and now part three, we I, I said we'd get it out today and we didn't do that. So anyway, it's Monday night. Um, we're going to try to make it up for you by talking about the things that we've missed because actually a few things have happened uh, over the past few days. And uh, the last time I was recording, it was by myself just teeing up the, the, the part two of the Steve and, and Jeremy conversation and the Bucks versus Bulls game was about to happen. And, and so the Bulls and Bucks did, did in fact play. Uh, Giannis did return. And, uh, you know, we can maybe just hit on just briefly some of the things that happened over the weekend, namely the Bucks and Bulls. There was the fan fest scrimmage, you know, which was, I think, even more, you know, well, I always look forward to it. I think this year anticlimactic just because normally it happens before games actually get played. And this year, obviously, it happened after three games were already played. So that kind of took some of the edge off. Um, And we've had our first uh, waiver wire action. We've had, uh, I think, actually, I don't even know if if Eric and I talked about James Young being waived, um, but that happened. And Kendall Marshall was waived. So, uh, you know, Bucks Survivor uh, 15th spot edition uh, has been ongoing and there has been some activity there. So we can maybe talk about that. Uh, and then last but not least, we'll get to, and this may be the biggest stretch of the conversation just because I think, um, well, I don't know. I feel like some people don't want to think or talk about Jabari Parker contract extension stuff at all. Ooh, um, yeah, I don't either. You, nope. I know you don't. Um, 
<laughs> but we will do it anyway. And it has become more more relevant just because, uh, or at least people have been talking about it more today because uh, Joel Embiid did sign a uh, a max extension, sort of with an asterisk, I guess. Uh, five years, $148 million is is the sort of nominal amount. Um, it is does have uh, the sort of rookie supermax criteria if he is MVP or All-NBA this season. Um, actually, I... I think he, you know, I'd have to double check on it. I was reading Roger's article. I th- I thought you had to be an all-star twice or, or all-NBA twice on your rookie contract to be able to eligible for that thing. But either way, I don't think he's going to get $178 million, which would be the kind of complete top end. But Oof. either way, $148 million over five years is a ton of money. Um, and the asterisk largely because there there is apparently some a lot of complexity that we're hearing. We don't have all the details yet, so they'll kind of trickle out in the next couple of days, but obviously with Embiid having played 31 games in th- in three years to date, uh, understandably the Sixers probably were not thrilled at the idea of just, you know, writing a $150 million check uh, with no strings attached. So apparently there's some sort of, you know, I don't know. And it's not clear at this point from what I've seen, if it is, you know, guarantee money kicking in with games played or I don't know. It seems like, I think there was something in the Woj article about how, um, they would have to actually waive him potentially to save some of that money, which obviously was would be a you know a, a significant thing for them to do. So it, lots of kind of questions around that, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, Friday night, the Bulls, uh, who are are in case you haven't been paying attention, who do not have any good players. Well, not really anyway. Uh, the Bulls are obviously rebuilding. They are one of the favorites for the top seed in next year's NBA draft lottery, but that did not stop them from. Handling the Bucks uh, pretty easily. I mean, I, I they didn't lead end to end, but can really seize control in kind of the middle periods and uh, end up winning one fourteen one oh one. They hit seventeen of thirty four threes, little boy, uh, which spoiled uh, quote unquote spoiled uh, if that is something that can happen in the preseason. The return of Giannis Dedekumbo. 24 points on just 10 shots, 7 out of 10 from the field, 9 out of 13 from the free throw line uh, in just 23 minutes and just generally kind of looked like a, a man among uh, bull boys uh, and uh, and generally an encouraging thing. Obviously, Giannis returning after um, the, the, the obviously surprising and, and tragic passing of his father and, and taking the first couple of games off, understandably. So Giannis not looking like he missed a beat. Um I guess you listen to this on the radio. I watched on a bootleg stream. Uh, <laughs> I, I mentioned a couple of things. I, I, those are probably the the main talking points. I mean, I, I don't know. Are, are we learning anything from the, the early returns of the Bucks preseason? Does, does any of this matter, Mitchell? How are you? How did, how did that loss affect the rest of your weekend? I mean, honestly, I carried it with me for far longer than anybody should, but that's just because of me and my obsessive personality. Uh, in terms of stuff that we learned, let's see. We learned that Giannis is one of the best players in the league and can do a lot of things on the court basically at will. We already knew that. Uh, we learned that the Bucks have a tendency to give up a lot of threes, and when opponents get hot and shoot 50% from behind the line, then they can score a lot of points against the Bucks. And even though like Milwaukee's offense was going pretty well in the second quarter when I was listening to uh, Ted Davis uh, on the radio... Um, they, like they were doing an okay job, like matching them for bucket, but if, you know you can't give up that two for three trade every other trip, and 
every time it was either Miritich or Holiday or Valentine. It was just another three and another three and another three. And a lot of it, based on what I heard, it wasn't even a matter of the threes being uncontested corner threes, which this defense is so famous for giving up. It was just shots that were going in that might not otherwise go in on any other night. So a little fluky there, but that's the sort of thing that you know, the Bucks are prone to giving up more often than the average team. And again, that's another thing that we knew. Uh, what else? What else was there? Uh, a bunch of players in the bottom of the roster played minutes, and they won't play minutes in the regular season. And that's, you know, just as Bucks Survivor Island continues towards its thrilling conclusion, where it'll probably be Gerald Green, I guess? I have no idea who's yeah. going to win that. Yeah, I mean... Gerald Green, I mean, I think just from certainly like if, and and the same is true in the scrimmage. I mean, Gerald Green just looks like the most NBA-like player. I mean, I think if you didn't know anything about, uh, if you had no idea about anything about who had guaranteed contracts, et cetera, et cetera, and you watched, you know, some of these Bucks games and the scrimmage on Sunday as well, um, I, I don't think you would pick Gerald Green to be a guy who was going to get cut. You know what I mean? I think I've actually been kind of surprised. I always thought of him as a guy who basically just couldn't dribble at all, you know, cause he's, he's <laughs> obviously a, a phenomenal kind of dunker transition guy. Um, it has, you know, and maybe not a super consistent three point shooter, but has shown the ability to do that, you know, at, at, with some regularity at least. Um, and the problem's obviously always been just sort of, he has no kind of in between attack the rim sort of game. Um, and whatever, you know, I mean, he's kind of had to just embrace what he is, I guess, over the years. But yeah. um, I, I don't know. I mean, I've seen a little bit more from him than maybe I expected. And I, I think it's just, you know, if, if it as as presumably, you know, many of us have guessed it comes down to Gerald Green against, you know, Brandon Rush. Um, you know, Rush is kind of just the far more he does nothing out of his lane. Um, he's probably more of a three small ball four even at this point, given his thickness and <laughs> you're you're putting it very kindly he's a yeah. he's a big boy he is he's gotten uh gotten thick um versus green who's you know much more of a kind of a uh, kind of classic you know wing sort of looks i mean he looks like young gerald green still you know i mean he maybe i'm sure he's maybe doesn't jump quite as high but um but yeah i mean you know and again certainly we didn't see anything special from Jared green on friday i mean he was 0 for 2 um, I think Brandon Rush hit a three. I'm just looking to double check. Yeah, Brandon Rush, uh, two out of three. No, no threes. But uh, you know, again, um, eh, you know, one, one game. I don't know how much any of these individual games are going to matter versus what the coaches have seen in in practice. And you know, I, I don't know. And there's obviously other pieces to this as well. I mean, how they fit. You know, personality type stuff like that. That's obviously things you want to make sure you have guys who want to be there and are not going to rock the boat. And again, I don't have any reason to think either guy would, would necessarily do that, but, um, but I hey, will see. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, on based on the little, I know I probably picked Gerald green, but I feel like we've already talked about that too much. Um, we, we do got to, uh, pour one out for our guy, Kendall Marshall. Uh, Eric, yeah. Eric is not pointing, pour, pouring one out because he is a Kendall Marshall hater. That's fine. Um, I'll pour one out for him. There you go. Uh, Kendall Marshall's preseason peaked with that uh, a 10 assist performance in the preseason opener in front of my very eyes in Dallas. Um, but, you know, that was it. And and I think it's interesting. I guess we'll see um, we'll see what happens with, with Gary Payton. Because, I, I mean, I keep coming back to the fact that if you're only two kind of like real point guards on the roster or Della Vadova and Brogdon, I mean, that's that's not a lot of real point guards to have on the roster. So... I yeah. would I would at least want 
GP2 on a two-way or, or somebody, right? Like on a two-way who, yeah. in theory, if one of those guys gets hurt, I can, you know, tap tap on the on the hand and say, okay, let me give have somebody from the bullpen, I guess, the lefty in Gary Payton's case. But somebody yeah. that could at least like vaguely like do something <laughs> at an NBA level and, and, and I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, is that... Does that play in your thinking? Like, would you expect Gary Payton to like not accept the two way because he thinks he can go get an NBA contract somewhere? I, I don't know. I feel like I'm willing to roll that dice. It's tough. It's tough to tell because Payton's one glaring weakness is like the biggest glaring weakness for any modern point guard to have is his inability to shoot threes. Although GP two did hit a three in that Chicago game, so hope springs eternal for the mitten. Um, he's, two know, out of, he's two out of five in preseason, by the way. Forty, he's forty percent. Hey, yeah, three just preseason, ex- so. extrapolate that data. He's Shout shooting straight for the top. Yeah. Um, the the Bucks point guard death is a real problem that hasn't reared its head yet because the season hasn't started. But it's you know, Brogdon was pretty durable last year and obviously very trustworthy. You know, and Delvadova had a down year, but was still good enough, right? You can't afford for any either one of those guys to miss any significant time, especially if you're not going to have another point guard on the roster. Uh, GP2 can at least play defense at NBA level. He's not going to make the all-defense team or anything ridiculous like that, but you can trust him to hold his own out there on defense. You can trust him to dribble the ball without dribbling it off his foot, right? So he can, at the very least, he can execute some of those basic point guard duties that need to be done by somebody, you know, even if it's for just for like four to eight minutes a game in, in non-crunch time, uh, it just it, it with a team that has as many wings as the Bucks have, it's almost it's so problematic that none of the guys they brought in to compete with GP two for that fifteenth spot was a point guard except for Kendall Marshall, who, in all honesty, even though I'm a Kendall Marshall fan, I agree with Eric that he was the not a great fit for what the Bucks need from that position, and so it's probably the best thing for the, them to part ways again. Um, but the, no other point guards were in that group uh, to compete with GP two for that final spot. And that's you know that's it's not like you're gonna necessarily find any diamonds in the rough, but you know I wings aren't what the Bucks need to go after right now. The, the Bucks are gonna need to find a guard somewhere. And I would rather them take you know a one in a million shot on somebody else on a training camp contract than seeing Brandon Rush bumble up and down the floor, seeing Joel Anthony work really really hard for a rebound and then lose it because he can only dribble the ball off his foot. But that's neither here nor there. Joel Anthony is working really hard. I shouldn't I shouldn't hate on him for that. Uh, by the way, jo- Joel Anthony getting like consistent minutes every game is one of the most hilarious sort of aspects of this preseason. I mean, he he literally like just kind of snuck in on into the roster on like the last day before camp it seemed and you know the fact that he, he's been playing basically every game and in part obviously because Thon's been hurt and yeah and I don't think they're that concerned with you know Greg Monroe getting big preseason minutes or anything like that but uh but yeah pretty pretty bizarre that the primary faces it's it seemed like oftentimes at center have been John Henson starting as John Henson started I think he started all three three games yeah I think he has uh, and then, and whatever, he's been fine. I guess he's been John Henson. Uh, well, actually, I don't know if that's that's the same thing. But, um, yeah. but you know, and then Joel Anthony getting, you know, it seems like 15 minutes almost every night, which is just, just so weird. In, this, in the scrimmage, I'm pretty sure Joel Anthony, I think he was the only, like, 
quote unquote center that even played in the scrimmage. I don't think anybody even bothered to dress other than Joel Anthony. So, uh, so that's weird. But uh, anyway, screw those guys. Let's forget about you know whatever fifteenth roster spot, fifteenth roster spot, whatever. If the fifteenth roster spot has to take up this much airtime on a podcast, it's too important, which is bad for the team. Yeah, well, and I, well, or on the flip side, we're just obsessive about the little things that we don't understand yet, you know, whatever. So that's um, fair. I, I mean, the other part, I think, certainly did the point guard discussion. I mean, it was interesting to see. I, I think the funny, the funny thing, you know, two years ago, point Giannis becomes a huge thing in the second half of the season. Giannis is, I mean, literally bringing the ball up the court like all the time, which. I don't really think is necessarily really needed, especially for a star player that, you know, like, yeah, not that they necessarily like pressure Giannis all the time when he was doing that. I don't think they did that really that much, but um, you know, I, I'm not, I, it's kind of funny. I think sometimes outside viewers of the box, I'll occasionally see people reference the idea of like, Oh, well they have Giannis as their point guard. So it doesn't matter. And then some people, especially internal, like uh, among Bucks fans, like are like really upset that Giannis doesn't bring the ball up at all. And they act like, point Giannis is like completely dead and I think like neither of those things are true like I think it is you know something in between right he obviously is at times initiating offense at times he's not he can obviously play in many different ways and I I don't know I don't think it's a huge deal that it's not not. yeah it's not I think it's I don't think it's a huge deal that he's not bringing the ball up every time um I think the interesting thing though was I I did think on Friday and I know you were listening on the radio so it probably was harder to tell I mean it seemed like he was you know, especially he, you know, when he was out there with guys like Gary Payton, uh, they were, you know, just having him kind of dribble the ball up the court. And you know, Chicago, I don't recall like being really interested in pressuring him. Um, so it felt more kind of point Giannis-y. Um, but then by the same token as well, it's not like, again, it's, it's not like he's just running high pick and roll. Um, they were getting him the ball. It seemed like they were trying to really get him the ball kind of at the elbows, getting the ball, um, you know, in some post ups and getting him kind of being the guy and then, you know, where the ball is going into and oftentimes in the post or, you know, somewhere closer to the basket and then trying to space a little bit around him, which, you know, again, I'm not, you know, the idea of, you know, you don't, and we, Eric and I talked about this the other day, like, you know, in the modern NBA, you don't want to build an offense around post-ups, but if you're using the post in part to get your best player touches and mismatches, and then he's a great passer. So, you know, you can use his gravity to, to create open looks for guys in the perimeter. Like that actually makes some sense. And obviously yeah. to be honest, like a post up is not necessarily a post up, right? He's not like just trying to get a hook shot. He's trying to drive face up, um, do different things. And, and he certainly had a lot of success, uh, on, on Friday that way. So, uh, yeah. So and I, was, just really quick, I want to jump in there. That's one thing I'm disappointed by in the preseason that we have not gotten a chance to see Thon play because of that ankle injury. Um, because with getting the offense getting Giannis set up with touches at the elbow, it's great if the opposing center gets pulled out by a shooter from that position. Right. And right now, the only center that the Bucks have that can shoot is Joel Anthony. No, I'm sorry, it's Thon. Um. They need the not being able to see those two together is you know it's not going to make or break the season, but it is very disappointing. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, just uh, I guess kind of finishing out the the honest points. I mean, you know, he did Giannis type stuff, attacking the rim. Um, you know, he used his size. I mean, it's funny like when he gets small guys on him in the post, like sometimes like just I mean, his length just overwhelms people, right? And he's able yeah. to just when when he especially his footwork has improved. I think he had a you know play early um, where he kind of just sealed a guy on the baseline just sort of you know used his pivot foot wisely and had a nice little uh nice little move to basically kind of wheel wheel past a guy and, and dunk with his left hand and 
Um, I thought the other interesting thing was, uh, you know, he had one play where he kind of probed and was along the baseline and, and just sort of settled for, you know, kind of like a 12 foot kind of slight step back jumper that he hit. He yeah. had a couple more of those in the scrimmage on Sunday. So it was kind of interesting to see him, especially when he's got, uh, obviously like Giannis is a guy you always want to see going towards the basket <clears> and, and using his size. Cause you know, let's be honest, like, you know, for the most part, like if he's aggressive, he's going to be able to rise up over guys, especially if he's got a mismatch. Um, but also being able to, to use that size and, and get, you know, kind of short looks. I mean, if he can, you know, get that sort of 10, 12 foot, you know, a little jump shot, a little turnaround type shot. I mean, that's obviously a good, good weapon to have in his arsenal, even if it's not something you want him shooting all the time. So interesting to see kind of those things. He did hit um, that one, that pull up three at the end of the first quarter, but we Mm -hmm. certainly, we certainly didn't see Giannis, you know, jacking up threes and, you know, trying to space from the outside. Things were so much around getting him the basketball, getting, going towards the basket. You know, he wasn't really looking for, for jump shots. So, um, you know, again, I don't think that's necessarily a big deal, um, but uh, certainly interesting to see. And I guess we'll 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 keep paying attention to that because obviously, uh, Giannis is our everything. Giannis is our everything. Um, the other guy that I wanted to mention um, before we kind of move on from from the preseason stuff because whatever it's preseason. Uh, Sterling Brown had a yeah very, had, had a very rough start. Uh, he had a very rough start to his Vegas summer league, although that was in part because he. Uh, couldn't sign because he couldn't officially be announced as a buck, you know, because of the whole way he was acquired. But um, so he was had an invisible start to Vegas and didn't really have any excuse for an invisible start to uh, the preseason. O of nine in Dallas, uh, and and his jump shot. I mean, he looked he looked nervous. Uh, the second game against Indiana, he doesn't play at all. Uh, third game, a bit of a homecoming game. He's from, uh, went to Proviso East, I think, high school. I believe that's the same high school that Michael Finley went to. Oh, uh, really? I think so. Uh, by the way, uh, I remember once seeing a picture of Michael. I think Michael Finley had like a jerry curl in high school. That's how long ago Michael Finley was in high school. It was like, I think, I guess it was like late 80s, early 90s. But um, so anyway, Sterling Brown uh, back in Chicago. Uh, I think he had, I think he missed his first couple of shots, but. Um, finishes the game three out of six, finally hit a three-pointer. I think he also airmailed one early in the game, but uh, in the fourth quarter, I think he hit a three, and uh, he had a very nice uh, attack of a closeout where he ended up just hammering it past uh, Chris Dunn, and I forgot who the other guy was. Chris Dunn actually uh, dislocated one of his fingers and going to miss a couple weeks with uh, when he tried to challenge uh, Sterling Brown. So um, nice to see Brown again, you know, eight points, five rebounds, yeah. two assists, 19 minutes, you know, again, like, uh, nothing here to say like, oh, this you know he's going to be a big rotation guy this year. But uh, at least nice to see him get off the schneid a little bit, and uh, certainly a guy that you know. Y- y- hey, I would love to see him beat out, pick your backup shooting guard guy, right? Like, yeah, definitely. Jet, I'd love to see Sterling Brown beat out Jet. Uh, you know, Gerald Green, sure, Gerald Green's cool, whatever. Put him on the roster in the 15th spot. I'd still much rather see Sterling Brown beat him out. So, I think that's an interesting subplot to watch. Um, interesting in the you know, for people who listen to Buck's podcast on a daily basis, like you lovely people listening today, it's it's an interesting subplot because uh, obviously a lot of other aspects of this roster we know pretty well. But um, certainly if they could get um, some contribution from Sterling Brown, it would be uh, uh, maybe I mean, maybe we're just been spoiled with Malcolm Procton uh, last year. Obviously, sure. We will not get an, a rookie of the year campaign for Sterling Brown, but um, well, no, no, don't just put that on him. You don't know he could. He could totally <laughs> set the league on fire. Why not? 
He, I mean, he at least has a chance to get some minutes, and uh, certainly nobody on this roster, uh, uh, other than him, you know, th- there's, there's no, there aren't any scary names here that are going to condemn him to, uh, to being on the bench. You know, Rashad Vaughn scored eight points on six shots, whatever he was. Rashad, yeah, Vaughn, missed, like... missed four threes. So once again, Rashad Vaughn's right back to his old tricks. Got me hooked in, got me believing in him, and now, ooh, okay, ooh, I guess it's the same as before. Would you? So his his team option, not for this year, but for the year after, is two point nine million dollars. He's twenty one oh, years old. He's twenty one oh. years old, right? The two point nine million. I mean, let's say this: like, a lot can change in two years. You know, sure, it's, it's probably not the difference between getting an important piece and and not getting that that piece. Um, for a guy as young as he is, and we've seen teams. Like Solomon Hill might be one example, although it's kind of funny because he's now overpaid. But um, right. the Pacers declined his last year option, and then he actually became a useful player in his fourth season, and then you know he left for nothing. Um, you know these are not the kinds of things that are crushing to a franchise. Rashad Vaughn is not going to go become a star in his fourth season and or this season, and then you know leave and everybody's going to be sad. But um, anyway, I've I've given you I've bought you some time to think about this two point nine million dollar player option. Uh, for for not this coming season, but the year after, uh, do you take that knowing what you else, knowing some of the other guys you have on this roster, knowing kind of the big picture of this franchise? You have Tony Snell and locked up now. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, like, do you just say sure, run it back, give him one more shot? He's young, or or do you say you know what? I think I've seen enough. Well, uh, let me let me ask this one clarifying question. Do you know what the deadline for exercising that option is? Uh oh, god! It's either the first game of the season this year or the end of October. I think it's the first. I think it's the first game of the season. Okay. So, mid, so basically, you got like a week. I mean, we have he's. So let's get some things out of the way. The obvious pros: twenty-one is super young. I remember when I was twenty-one. It was a long time ago. I, I've improved a lot since then. At least I like to think. Uh, and two point nine mil is real cheap. Really cheap in the salary cap, but even with that said, we haven't seen anything consistent from Rashad Vaughn since he started a whole mess of games and got a whole mess of minutes in his rookie year. Like he was brought in to be a shooter, but he can't really shoot that consistently. Like he's got a good shot, they just don't go in. And he doesn't do anything else on offense. That <laughs> By the way, if, if, you have a, if you have a nice shot and it just doesn't go in, at some point, do you do you still have a nice shot? Uh, but it looks so pretty, Frank. <laughs> he does get a nice heat. It, it's kind of an easy ball. Like it does get it, it has nice yeah. arc on it. Um, but but yeah, it just it just doesn't go in as much. So as like. so if he if he's gonna be a scorer, but he doesn't score. If he's gonna be a shooter, but he doesn't shoot. He's gonna be a defender. I mean, at this point, I think the reality is that Rashad Vaughn's defense is his best NBA skill. Oh God. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I think. You know what? Given with what I said like before about the the Bucks needing depth at the point guard position, and I'm sorry, Rashad Vaughn isn't. You know, he can handle okay for a shooting guard, but that's not a point guard. I just there's I haven't seen nearly enough. I would say just blow up the Rashad Vaughn experience. I think he's a wonderful human being, but I think he needs to apply his trade elsewhere. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I would miss the random funny Rashad creeping on a camera gifs and things like that. Um, I, I think the, 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 the funny part is, 
I, I think if you do, I mean, if if you're kind of at the point where you don't, you know, you're just like, all right, you know what, let's let's cut bait on shoddy. Um, I mean, my, I would just try to see if you can trade him to, you know, Brooklyn or or someplace for a top fifty five protected pick and just get him off your books now, right? Because I just don't even want like there's no point in even having the guy around if you've basically said you know you're not worth us even you're, you don't even have the upside to you know take take this last team option which is a pretty small price you know in the grand scheme i mean unless he's unless he's Giannis's partner in fifa or something else in the locker room where like he like him and malcolm brogdon have like really intense discussions about international trade or whatever he adds off the court that's the only reason you could ever consider keeping him around yeah i I, I I mean I just I mean certainly in the short term I mean with this team I mean like is there is there something you're gonna miss if you cut Rashad Vaughn I, and again t- to be clear if they were to waive Rashad Vaughn they couldn't just go and sign another right guy right, right right and be under the luxury tax so there, I, I don't like that's not what I, I I would I would not expect them to waive Rashad Vaughn I think the only question is like could you just like dump him on somebody now or on the flip side I mean you could keep him and move forward and just decide not to take his option. Right. I mean, that's, that's the other thing. And a year ago, they waited until the last minute to, to take up his option because yep. presumably they might've been just trying to, to offload him or use him in a trade or something like that. Because obviously if you trade him in some bigger deal or something like that, then maybe the team that acquires him doesn't, you know, they might not want to take that team option. Let, let them have that call. So I, I don't right. know. I, I feel like we've talked enough about Rashad Vaughn. Yeah. Um, I had no, I, I did watch the, um, well, let me ask, make one more comment on this. So we mentioned the three point defense. I mean, it is what it is, right? Like th- this is the problem in the NBA. I mean, what you're seeing now is, you know, last year we saw it with Kenny Atkinson's team in, in Brooklyn in particular, um, bad teams will now play fast. They will shoot a lot of threes. You know, n- normally you'd say, well, if you're bad and don't have talent, try to re- limit the number of possessions. But the flip side is, if you have if you speed the game up and you take a lot of threes and you increase sort of the volatility of the outcome because maybe you get hot that night right and um, last year was it was interesting because I, and I think I think this might have been it maybe it was in part three of the podcast you guys haven't heard yet uh, or maybe it was in part two but you know one of the interesting things is last year we saw a, a couple of teams Philly and Brooklyn shoot a ton of threes and still be bad offensively normally. Teams that shoot tons of threes, there's there's been a pretty close correlation. If you shoot a ton of threes, you're generally pretty good offensively. And now some of the bad teams are are shooting a lot of threes, and it isn't necessarily translating into good offense. Um, but we saw with the Bulls. I mean, this the Bulls have been bad in the preseason. I think they got blown out the previous game that they played by like 40 points. Um, they're going to be bad in the regular season. But, you know, Hoiberg always, we always heard that they wanted to play fast and shoot a bunch of threes and do blah, blah, blah. Um now maybe they're actually going to play that way. And, you know, if you're a team like the Bucks, I mean, this is the problem. If your defense is going to be susceptible to threes, then you're going to be, I think, susceptible to these kinds of random games where, oh, well, if you're going to give up 34 attempted threes to the other team, you know, and, and for context, I think the Bucks were I don't know, maybe at like 28 last year. They were, you know, they weren't the worst in the league. Charlotte was the worst. Steve Clifford's right. defense gave up 30 threes per game last year. Um, but if you're going to give up 30-plus every night – you're going to open yourself up to the possibility that even bad teams are going to get hot like we saw with the Bulls. And again, we'll see what they can do. Maybe that's more switching. I know Mike Prada was was uh, tweeting at him 
and and he mentioned that as being a concern and said well maybe you know it could just be something that could be fixed somewhat easily if you just switch more um you know jason kidd didn't mention switching more defensively could that be the thing that jason kidd admits he needs to do more of in order to um you know uh get away from from sending multiple people at the ball when it leaves other guys open. I don't know. We'll see, right? But um, right. that's that's going to be a theme that I'm sure we'll talk about ad nauseum. We already talk about it ad nauseum, so I don't want to necessarily batter at home much more. Um, I will say this. You did not watch the scrimmage on Sunday. I did I, not. I did. Um, I have nothing really to add. Giannis looked kind of like he did on Friday. He was the best player, obviously. Uh, he did miss a windmill dunk, which uh you know actually no i did see that like he, he pulled it down and he just for whatever reasons release was too slow and it went careening off the back of the rim that's always fun not not as get, fun when it's your star player but it's, it's always yeah, fun. get it out of the way in the in a, in a preseason scrimmage that's fine he he also threw a an alley-oop off the backboard to gerald green good times good times yeah. um well, did i also see that wasn't there a fan that made a half-court shot that didn't count and then tony snell stepped up and just was super clutch and made the half-court shot for him to get him tickets or something well looked- i don't i don't know if it didn't count i mean i would be shocked if they would play i mean i think they were only giving away like tickets to three games or something like you'd have to be really sure. cheap to play the oh your foot was over the half over half court <laughs> when the stakes are so friggin' low um but yeah the the guy the kid hit the three-point shot or sorry the half-court shot which is difficult uh the weird thing was they were playing those ball the balls they were playing with like really orange they were not like nba regulation balls and the ball literally bounced off the back rim and then just like it didn't go up in the air at all and then went in the, went, and like basically just it, it looked almost like a free throw like where you you know you have some soft backspin or something and it just rolls around the rim and in like a normal shot from that far away should never kiss off the rim that light it was something weird was going on but he made the shot and then tony snell followed up and and swished his shot so he won he won something but um but yeah that was uh that was uh, maybe the highlight of uh, of the preseason mm. scrimmage so uh, two two consecutive half court makes sounds suspicious sounds, sounds very suspicious um let, let's see what else so we talked about kendall marshall getting waved shout out to kendall uh important note the Reno Bighorns do own his returning rights in the G League, um, so he will not be going to the to the Wisconsin herd. So right on that that should be noted. Um, it sounded like I, I I didn't really look that much into it because who cares? But it, it looked like James Young. I, I thought I saw something in, implying that James Young like is not interested in a two way deal and that he's going to sign like a G League contract. Um, yes, somewhere. I saw the same things. Yeah, yeah. I'm not and, sure exactly who put it out there, but I saw the same things. Um, so, so I don't know. So, either way, I mean, considering James Young and and Gary Payton were the only guys in camp that were you know even eligible for two ways because the other guys were too old. Um, I, it'll be interesting to watch because basically there's another potential option here now. Xavier Munford was brought in, um, a guy who played well in the G League. I don't forget if it was a year ago or two years ago, but you know he's kind of one of those interesting guys who really hasn't gotten a shot at the NBA. Um, I assume he could be a potential uh, two-way guy, especially if James, uh, James Young is out of the fold. And he's kind of like a combo guardish guy. He played on the like G League team that won the FIBA America Cup, which I don't even know what that is really. I know Jeff Van Gundy coached that team, and I know it was full of G League guys, including the 18th Plumlee brother, Marshall, um, <laughs> who's still waiting on his $15 million a year contract from somebody. But, um, but anyway, so Xavier Munford, 
yeah, maybe we'll see him with the herd. Uh, and he's more of a combo guard. So again, maybe that could be another option if you know the Bucks are down a point guard or two. But um, again, we'll we'll have to see how that unfolds. Okay, let's. Uh, we've been talking a while. Let's get to this Embiid contract extension. Um, I saw the news earlier. I think like most people, the original report just said he was signing. You know, Woj reported he's signing a max contract extension for five years, 148 million. Um, the same number that that Andrew Wiggins has been rumored to have on the table, but for some reason he says he hasn't signed it yet, but he eventually will. Like, I, I don't know. Like, if I had a 30 million dollar year contract sitting around that was the most that could possibly be earned, I'd probably get around to signing that. But hey, to to each their own. Um, so we heard first heard that, and then sort of during the day, and again by the time people hear this, maybe we'll know more. Um, but there are apparently some protections that it's not fully guaranteed. Uh, it does have this additional thirty uh, percent criteria where you know if he wins MVP or Defensive Player of the Year or whatever this year, then then he could make up to one hundred seventy eight. But you know, okay, fine. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously the question that a couple of people have asked me is. Well, is this bad news? Does this mean that Jabari is going to demand or going to get? Or what does this mean for Jabari's max contract ambitions or or big contract ambitions? Let's say uh, the Bucks have another week to theoretically come to an agreement if they can. Um, I, I have certainly been of the opinion that there just isn't common. There, there just doesn't make sense that that the Bucks would go with a big number given the uncertainty around Jabari right now. And it seems like Jabari's agent, Mark Bartlesine, given he swindles the bucks and the rest of the league constantly, like <laughs> he should probably, you know, have all the confidence in the world. He can swindle a lot of money out of somebody. So it just doesn't seem like there's kind of a middle ground to see an extension. Um, but obviously if not, then, then the can gets kicked down the road to next summer when he'd be a restricted free agent. So I, I don't know. I mean, w- what's your reaction, Mitchell? Joel Embiid gets a ton of money maybe not all of it is guaranteed. Uh, I mean, is there an upshot here for Jabari Parker or are these players just so different and the situation so different that it's, it's just not relevant. It's, it's weird. The situations are definitely different, but there's a lot more parallels than you, you might otherwise think like it, it means enti- everything with it means concerns entirely around his injuries and the ability for him to stay on the floor. When he's on the floor, is a huge difference maker, and that's you know the justification for why Philly would be willing to pay him an exorbitant amount of money to sit in a suit on the bench for forty games every year. That's that's my opinion on what's going to actually happen. But hey, I'm not a professional; I'm just an amateur. As it relates to Jabari, like this, this is proof that a player that has very little NBA experience can get super paid based on potential. Uh, I mean, they're picked back-to-back two and three in the draft in 2014. Um, it really comes down to whether or not the Bucks believe that Jabari Parker can be a difference maker to the same degree as Joel Embiid is for the Sixers. And I think the Bucks believe that he could be a difference maker. I don't know if... You know, they think he's going to be on that level, but I know we were we were discussing this briefly before we started the pod, and you were uh, kind of talking about you know the upshot with Embiid being worth the risk or how he's binary. You want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, 
so obviously if you're Mark Bartlestein and you know you're you're thinking about the next press release you want to uh you want to send over to Gary Wolfler or whatever um you're probably going to play the well I mean Jabari Parker has some injury concerns but he's played in way more NBA games than Joel Embiid has over his first 3 years so therefore both of these guys are super talented max contract type guys so if Joel Embiid gets, you know, a full max and maybe there's some non-guarantees in there to be, you know, to be continued on that, um, yeah. then surely Jabari is, is worth the risk if the Bucks, you know, are, are, uh, you know, as, as smart as the 76ers or whatever, whatever you want to put it. Um, but I mean, I, first off, I mean, I think it's kind of a, I mean, it's bullshit, I would say, because, they are very different types of risks. Obviously, they both have had major injury concerns, and it's and it's just a huge friggin' bummer that both these guys have have not been able to play in more games, and that they have very true. concerns going forward. I mean, I would argue Embiid has more concerns going forward, just because. He, I mean, he's got like the trifecta back. You know, he had back concerns at Kansas. He had obviously the foot injuries, multiple foot injuries in in a you know the the type of foot injury, the navicular bone injuries that have derailed many an NBA big man's career. And then these knee injuries as well, you know, this, this meniscus, I think he had a meniscus last year that, you know, was mysteriously not thought to be serious. And then he comes back, plays a game and then goes out again. And then, Oh, by the way, he needs to have surgery. And so oh, bizarre. Way, so yeah, and bizarre. Then, and then he's not ready to return. I think he's just returned to five on five. So, I mean, I, I have, I have more confidence in Jabari Parker playing a lot of NBA games, um, over the next five years or pick your time horizon. But, you know, the thing with Embiid is all you have to do with your contract, you know, you think about like, what do you have to sort of control for if you're, if you're the team trying to protect downside risk with Embiid, it's only injuries. If he play, I mean, we've only seen 31 games, this guy, but you know, as you said, when he's on the court as a rookie, he was a massive difference maker on both ends. You know, he has the skill set, you know, especially when you consider how little basketball he's played, um, to be a, a huge difference maker. You know, like, I mean, again, I, I'm not expecting him to ever win an NBA MVP, but I mean, he's in that like all NBA type category of, of big man ability. In, in terms of ability, in terms of talent, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and he was a guy that, you know, I, I certainly felt this way, uh, and I think a lot of the people did that. He was clearly the the guy who should have gone first overall, if not for you know the the injuries that cropped up um, before that the the draft in in twenty fourteen. So, um, so I think that's the question, right? I mean, if you can give him a contract that you know provides some some protection against the injury scenario where he just you know doesn't play and you know his career ends early, something like that, then yeah, I mean, if he's going to play. <sighs> 55 60 games a year he's he's a max contract guy like i'm not you know i'm not really concerned about giving him that money if he's going to be able to stay on the court so you really only have to kind of control for that one dimension of risk versus jabari who they're i think they're really two dimensions of risk and they're the the two kind of major major buckets of risk that exist for a young player which is the injury stuff which he's obviously you know obviously has more risk than the average player and Maybe not as much as Embiid, but the knee injury stuff is scary. So yeah, you could try to take an approach. We'll see what exactly the the Embiid stuff is. You know, if if there are ways to to use sort of cascading guarantees and 
um, in this deal and, and how much you can actually get away with. I'm not sure. Right. I, I, you know, that, that's tough to say, but, um, but that might help you. But then again, like if Jabari Parker plays in 80 games the next five years, what is my confidence that he's going to be worth $30 million a year, roughly a max contract? Uh, n- not that high, I would say. Um, you know, do I think if he's healthy, there is a very good chance he's worth 20 million a year? Yeah, I think so. If he's healthy, um, I don't think there's necessarily a ton of risk because I think especially in the first couple of years, um, you know, if he can be a 20 point per game scorer at his age, given his unique skill set, I think there's at least a market for him that you could salary dump him probably, uh, again, wiping away that injury risk. But the reality is you are operating in a world with the injury risk. So maybe you can manage that a little bit. Um, but then if there isn't an injury, I'm not, I don't want to, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to pony up for $30 million a year, given that, you know, compare, you know, Embiid's one of the most impactful defenders in the league. In addition to being a very good offensive player, Jabari looks like he has the makings of a very good offensive player, but has the makings of, you know, one of the worst defensive players in the league. So yeah, yeah it, it just, just really hard to kind of, you know, overlook that or gloss over that defensive side and, um, so I think the, I guess the, the, the punchline for me is it, it matters in the sense that it informs sort of like public expectations and probably his agents sort of bargaining stance. Um, but it doesn't matter in the sense that I don't think a team with cap space next summer, and there are very few of them. I don't know the team that has max contract space. Ironically, the Sixers would have otherwise been one. Um, I don't think there is a team out there with, with, with salary cap space that necessarily really makes sense to give Jabari 25 million a year or something like that next summer. Like the bulls could have that, but <laughs> we were joking before the podcast. I said, Lowry marketing and Jabari Parker is like the worst defensive combination I can think of, uh, you know, in the front court. And then you said, Oh, and throw in Zach Levine <laughs> who has an ACL injury risk. And he's another kind of terrible, potentially, you know, um, empty calorie type scorer guy. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't know if it matters that much. I think it, I don't think it helps the odds of getting a, an extension done, which I wasn't expecting anyway. Um, but you know, ultimately next summer, so much of this, if the bucks are willing to play this game and again, a lot of it, you know, you, you, this is where it gets tricky because you know, if you just try to play hardball and, and lowball a guy, you can piss people off and create a lot of bad blood. And you know, again, that stuff does matter, right? I mean, it does, yeah, it does, does. affect things. Um, but I, again, I don't think Joel Embiid getting a ton of money changes, you know, what teams are willing to pay for Jabari next summer. So I, I don't know. I just rambled for a while. Any other kind of thoughts on that one? <laughs> it's the timing of Embiid's extension is unfortunate because it does put that kind of that fake pressure on the Bucks to do something to like lock in Jabari and like really prove that you know he's their guy. Um, the jury's still out as to whether Jabari is their guy. I mean, I, I, you, I, you were saying thirty million. For what I already have seen Jabari to be in the league, and I know I can, you can't build your salary cap around that kind of player. You can't let that player make more than Giannis, who's a legitimate MVP candidate already. Uh, and even twenty-five, no, too much. Twenty, twenty's palatable, but he needs to improve to the point of being at least average on defense in terms of impact. I don't even care. Like how he does it, he can stumble around and just like fall ass backwards into the right rotations and the right switches if that's what it takes. And we, you know, to be fair, we've never really seen Jabari get extensive time with a really, really good 
set of defenders around him that have like really gelled together to like try to quote unquote hide him. But I think I've said this before, maybe I've written it on brew hoop that hiding a bad defender from, uh, from the wing position is like the worst place to hide them because of all the flexibility and all the switching between positions that goes on in the league. Um, it's tough. It's, it's, I think the bucks are doing the right thing by waiting on making the decision until next year. And if somebody gives them a max offer, then you weigh your options and you know decide whatever's best for the team. It may be wave, wave goodbye. <laughs> I mean, I, I at this point, like I would have to see some significant improvement uh, in the last thirty games or whatever it is of the season that Jabari's going to get to play, which is like that's asking a lot of Jabari Parker because he's rehabbing from a major knee injury again. Like, there's it's not reasonable to expect him to be, you know quasi all-star caliber in february right like that's just not a realistic ask so based on what we've seen and based on what we know like there's just there's just not enough justification and maybe some other team is willing to you know push the bucks to the brink and play salary cap chicken with them just to if nothing else force them into a bad position and i i don't know like i love jabari as a person as a human he's wonderful um I don't know what this uh, this extension could mean for the team. Maybe it'll uh, propel him to tell his agent to just get a deal done for, I don't know, 15 a year. How great would that be? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what you see with some of these other numbers, because I, I think that's the thing, too. I mean, I, I see... I think there are a lot of fans who... Uh, and I was going to say, you know, Jabari is more is probably closer to TJ Warren than Joel Embiid in terms of his next contract, you know, yeah. five years, 148 for Embiid, four years, 50 million for TJ Warren. Um, and that's the thing, right? I know that I think there are a lot of Bucks fans who like want to think that like, well, Jabari might not be worth really more than TJ Warren. Therefore, like they should try to sign him to that. I mean, this is a problem. Like he's not going to take that deal. Like I, I just don't think, I think even next summer as a restricted free agent, if if nobody offered him anything and the Bucks were offering four years fifty million, I think Mark Barlstein probably says, wait a minute, I got four years fifty million for for Miles freaking Plumley, right? Um Jabari, go go play a season under your qualifying offer, which importantly is not going to be that high because he won't meet starter criteria this year because he he's gonna miss most of the season. So instead of I think it's gonna be about nine million otherwise uh, it's going to drop to I think about half that. So I mean that's oh, wow. important, right? It's his fallback is not as high as it as it otherwise would have been. Um, but I, that, that's the question. I mean, maybe Jabari says like, "Screw it! I, I I've been through too much. I'm not going to play with fire." You know, if the Bucks have 15 million on the uh, on the on the table, I'll I'll take that, right? Maybe maybe he does take that, and that that sort of thing. Like I I think a TJ Warren contract I just don't think is realistic. Um, I I just don't think. That that Mark Barlstein is gonna um, gonna go for something like that next summer. Certainly not not this fall. Um, so I, I think the the question is, you know, where is the point at which they they roll the dice? And is it you know, it's I think it's higher than twelve million a year. Is it fifteen million? Is it eighteen million? Is it more? Um, I'll tell I, you what. I tell you what. It will look a lot better without those pesky John Henson, Mirza Toledovich, Matthew Delvadova contracts staring us in the face right now like i know they're not gonna last forever but golly it just 
everything everything feels so much tighter than it has to be because of some of those mediocre contracts that got given out previously. Yeah, and I mean, I look at it this way, like, and you brought this up, like, you know, how you were kind of also thinking about like Brogdon and Don Maker, and you know, they're they're going to need new deals. Chris Mills going to need a new deal. Um, and the problem is, like, when I kind of mentally think about this, I think of it as if you do give Jabari a big contract, you know, let's say it's not a max, but let's say if it is twenty million or something like that, well, you know, you're roughly sliding into Greg Monroe's salary slot. So Greg Monroe's gone, right? True. Um, and you've got Jabari Parker. Well, okay. Jabari, I think, has more upside than Greg Monroe, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I'm um, fine with that trade. I'm fine trading Monroe for Parker. That'd be fine. Right, right. That, that's fine. Especially because I think, you know, uh, and Monroe has been a solid defender, but I'd rather have a bad defender as a guy that I can switch with Giannis and Tony Snell and pretty much anybody else in the roster versus a guy that, you know, is, is sort of the, a center, if that makes sense. Right. Um, but... Um, you know, then looking at otherwise, like, well, then you'll need basically those Toledovich, Deli, and Henson slots. Maybe those convert into the new Brogdon and Maker spots eventually, right? Like, thinking about it from a contractual perspective, if you're up against the tax now, how do you, you know, roughly sort of stay in that same range? And the problem is, like, yeah, you can keep all the guys you currently have, but then, you know, we've already said, well, you actually you are losing Monroe, presumably, and where is the next guy like where is that other kind of key piece that everybody thinks the bucks are going to need i mean you hope you somehow draft it from the middle to late of the first round i guess because there's not really i mean we're not we're not talking about having a bunch of room to go sign another star in in free agency and so that's i think the scary part um but but also i mean keep in mind right like if if jabari doesn't get that contract just the way these these deals are going to line up they're they're not necessarily going to have that money to go spend on somebody else, and so I think that's part of the scary thing too. Like, you know, we all love the idea of creating cap space, but well, what is the evidence that a team like the Bucks and you can say, well, they just they just give out bad contracts, but what what are the odds of of any small market random team going out and signing an unrestricted free agent who's probably you know in the age range of twenty eight to thirty two? Are you going to find somebody who's going to be the missing piece for a team led by Giannis, given his age range? you know, given the rest of this roster or are are you better off just rolling the dice and maybe, you know, taking a big chance on Jabari? I think that's the the part that, you know, even as someone who's skeptical of Jabari as sort of this really big money guy, the the opportunity cost I think is is the other kind of flip side to this. And I think people a lot of times maybe overstate what the Bucks can do if not Jabari, if that makes sense. But yeah. That is that is the difficult to, decision the Bucks are gonna have to make. Nope, very true. All very good points. Uh, the only other way they could get that missing piece is if they somehow stumble their way into a situation where they're talking about trading for a disgruntled star, like they kind of sort of were on the periphery of the Kyrie situation. Right, right. And and even in that scenario, right, you're giving up some of these valuable pieces, right? And that's the that's the problem, right? It's 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 hard to sort of add a guy without giving up a lot unless you either draft that guy or you somehow just find some diamond in the rough. Um, so I think, I think the long short of this is a lot is riding on Xavier Munford at this point. Oh man, that I was telling you about point guard depth, Frank and Xavier Munford is the answer. We will see. Um, we will see, but, um, uh, for now we'll have a couple more days this week. Uh, 
I mean, I haven't talked to Eric in a while. We'll see. We'll see what we can talk about. We'll hopefully rescue our podcast uh, that we lost, and uh, we'll see what else happens for us this week in the uh, thrilling uh, conclusion uh, over the next week of the race for the fifteenth spot uh, on the roster. Um, Hooray! I mean, wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be just? I feel like wouldn't it be hilarious if John Horse decided to keep Joel Anthony just to stick it to Jason Kidd and tell him you're going to have he works so dang hard have, he deserves it. You're going to have four goddamn centers on this roster whether you like it or not, Jason. <laughs> you thought you thought us waving Spencer Hawes was going to give you some other guy to use in some other period of the roster, but no, no, I'm not doing <laughs> it. Um, all right, I think that's it for us. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to this podcast if you don't already. Review us on iTunes, but only if you like us. Um, if you hate us, just shoot me a tweet and let me know what we can do better. Uh, and, and I'm not Eric, so don't hold it against Frank. Yeah, if you hate exactly, me, yeah. just go hate on me. Yeah, if you hated Mitchell, just go to the Brew comment section and light him up um, and, and do it there. But uh, be sure to check out uh, Mitchell uh, and everybody else who does great work at brewhoop.com. Uh, check out Mitchell on Twitter at Wales Larry. What is that? Is that like a, a Simpsons reference or something? What is that? Oh, so long story short, when I was getting set up, and this is actually topical because it's going away very soon. AOL Instant Messenger was a thing that I was very into as a middle school child, as I'm sure a lot of listeners will attest. Um, but I didn't know what to pick for a screen name. Because I just didn't have anything I wanted to use. And so there was this website where it, was like, it would build your screen name. And I didn't know what to put in for the selection. And so I just clicked the give me a random screen name button. And out popped Wales Larry. I was like, all right, I'll go with that. Wow. <laughs> so I, I, I thought that was a reference to something. But it literally is a completely random reference. It is, it is the most nonsensical thing that exists anywhere on the internet. I'll say that right now. Wow. There you go. So at Wells Larry, give Mitchell a follow. Uh, you can follow me at at FMaddenMBA. And we will be back very soon. Uh, in the meantime, I hope you enjoyed uh, another riveting episode of Locked on Bucks where we went into excruciating detail on a lot of random things. But hey, Jabari Parker decision. I know a lot of people are sick of talking about it. I'm sick of talking about it, but... It, it, it's scary, and I think people are sick of it in part because it's scary how much it's going to matter. So um, stay tuned. I, I hope we don't have necessarily any reasons to, to grovel over it uh, that much, maybe over the next week, and then we'll probably stop talking about it for a while. But um, in the meantime, we have one more preseason game left on Friday. And then uh, it's Monday night right now. Are we are we a week away from the NBA regular season? Am I Am I completely making that up? Uh, yeah, actually, Frank, the playoffs just ended. We have to go through the entire off season again, oh. the entire summer. Now nah, I'm just playing. We have. Oh, we have I'm sorry. October 18th. October 18th. I think the first NBA games are. Are they on the 16th? But first game for the Bucks Wednesday, October 18th. I should have known that. But well, uh, that's that's, that's the first game of the NBA season that matters, Frank. Right. Exactly. All right. Locked on Bucks. Thanks so much for listening. We will talk to you very soon. Enjoy your Tuesday, my friends. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. 
For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details.